morning. It is so good to be here. I've been coming up here. Yeah, I've been speaking from 2017, but I've been coming up here from 2009, and I love it here. It's fantastic. Um, I traveled, just in case you thought there was a lady at the men's weekend, and I, I'm sure some of you all thought that. That's my wife, Wendy, and Wendy would love it if everybody spoke to her. Uh, just form a queue, say hello. Um, so it is so good to be here. Now, let's get some ground rules in place before we start. Uh, we invented the language, so however I choose to speak is the correct way to speak, okay? So can we, can we just start right there? Because you have destroyed our language. It's changed all the spellings, and it's just bad. Um, I have to say, though, whenever my son was growing up, he used to talk about sidewalks and windshields and trash cans, and you're all looking and thinking, that's normal, but it's not where I come from. And I couldn't figure it out until I realized he was watching lots and lots and lots of American television. So we had to deal with that. We had to punish him for using words, adulterated words like that. <laughs> You're all laughing, yeah. Um, so I just, uh, it's so good to be here. And what we're going to do really over my three sessions, and it hasn't been so good so far with Chris. It's just been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. Been sitting down here at the back. It's just been really, really good so far this weekend, and uh, hopefully we can uh, look at things maybe slightly differently now as well, but absolutely complementary to what we've already heard. And and I know that from what my message is going to be this morning. It's absolutely complementary. And so, if you want to put your finger in your Bibles or your devices or whatever it is you've got, we're going to be looking at six verses over the next three sessions. So two verses each session. So First Corinthians three. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verses, uh, what is it, 10 to 15. Uh, so just put your thumb right in there or your finger, and we will get back to that in just a little second. I always like to identify the books that sometimes I use whenever I'm preparing. It's a guy called R.T. Kendall, and he's, he is an American. I know most people over here haven't necessarily heard of R.T. Kendall, but R.T. Kendall has written a book called Well Done, and that's really for this session what, what was probably a book that was really useful and tonight's session, and then I'll tell you about a different book tomorrow morning. And so we're going to look at these six verses. So I just want to give you a context, uh, and you'll see it if you look at back towards the start of that chapter. I'm not going to read all the verses at the start of the chapter just to save time, but effectively by reading the first two verses and the first phrase of the third verse gives you the context of what Paul was talking about back whenever he was writing to the church in Corinth. And then the context, really, of what I'm going to speak about over these next three sessions. So here's what Paul says in the first two verses of that chapter. You can read along these two if you wish. Brothers and sisters, I could not, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I give you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Now, forgive me. But I believe that God has given me a message. I've been teaching a long time, and I, certainly over the last couple of years, certainly this year, I really feel that God is bringing me to a place of teaching the church specifically. People within the church, men and women within the church, because I absolutely believe, and I've, I travel a bit, I, I speak, and I'm an itinerant speaker back home in Northern Ireland. That, thanks for that, Jason. Uh, 
two different countries, by the way. Um, so I, was, I teach regularly. I travel over here regularly. I love California. I'm mostly in California, other parts of the world. And I, forgive me, but sometimes I don't see a big difference between the church and the world. And, that, and I believe that God has given me that message to speak and communicate. Now, I also believe that sometimes that message isn't going to make me a lot of friends. But you know what? That's okay. Because if God has given me something to speak about, then I've got to do it. And very often, I, ask, and I always like to start now, I caveat my messages with this, is that very often now I feel that I can't teach what God has given me. Uh, but yet I do, and my wife keeps saying to me, no, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. So I want to start by saying that anything that we talk about over these three sessions, I'm starting right here. I'm looking at the guy in the mirror. And so whenever Paul here is talking about this worldly church, let's all start by saying, do you know what, is it possible that some of us just maybe haven't got to where we need to be? And I don't believe in a sinless perfection theology. I'm sure there's not anybody in the room that does. If you do, Go, go back to the Word of God and have another look, because there is no such thing as perfection this side of heaven, but there is absolutely this idea of sanctification is the theological term where we actually should be more like Christ today than we were yesterday, and, the day, and more the day before. Yeah, we all understand what I'm saying, don't we? And I know that it's probably easier up here, yeah, 250, 300 other Christian men, it's easy to live for God up here. But what about whenever the rubber hits the road on Monday morning, whatever Monday morning looks like for you, yeah? And so what we're going to talk about is that, but the title of the message is Reward or Loss, What Are You Building? Because Paul here is talking about you and I as Christian men building our lives. What does it look like? And the tomorrow morning session, we're going to look at whether we receive reward for that in heaven or suffer loss for that in heaven. It's in the Bible. We'll read the verses. I'm not going to tell you something that's not there. And so let's look at, uh, I'm going to read the, the six verses now, but we're only going to teach verse 10 and 11 this morning. Okay? Everybody with me? Everybody understanding 100% of what I'm saying? Close? Yeah? We're in the 90s percents, yeah? Now remember what I said, it's my language, so you've got the problem, not me. All right? Okay. So let's read verse 10 through 15. By, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. This is Paul speaking. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, capital D in your Bibles, if you're looking at it there, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. That verse scares me. Yeah? Now, we're going to be talking about that tomorrow morning, so... Come back tomorrow morning. I know some people try to get a race on the traffic and get down the hill. If I can wait and I'm flying to Northern Ireland tomorrow, you can wait, okay? And so what we're really talking about here, first 10 and verse 11, so we're really just setting the context, setting the scene of what it is that we're doing over these three sessions. So first 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise or an expert builder and someone else is building on it. 
but each one should build with care. So Paul opens up here by saying, by the grace God has given me. Now, this is not a saving grace specifically, okay? So remember, he's talking about himself. He is also talking about the church in Corinth, the church in Corinth. Let me point out to you that the majority of your Bible, after the history book of, of Acts, obviously the four Gospels, is letters to the churches back then, and letters therefore by extension to you and I. And whenever we read those books, I think it's obvious to see that there's no such thing as a sinless perfection. Otherwise, why was the New Testament written for us? Would you accept that? And so whenever we read Corinthians, when we read this here, we have to see it in the context that Paul's talking about. So Paul is saying, by the grace God has given me, not specifically saving grace. So what is it that he's talking about here in this particular verse? He says, rather, this is the grace that is a vocational grace and a strength to do what it is that we should be doing for God, okay? And so I know that I'm talking predominantly to those in the room who are saved, but don't, don't worry, I will have a message for those who are not yet saved here within the building this morning. So don't, don't panic and think that I'm not going to do that. But what should you and I as believers do? Sometimes that's the, the, the million dollar question, isn't it? How often do we pray for the will of God in our lives? Yeah, always. I would say for everybody in the room, for those who have prayed the, the sinner's prayer, after that prayer, the most prayed prayer is what should I do for God? Well, I'm going to let you give you three statements here, and I can answer it for you this morning. Stop praying about it. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah? And then, of course, there's specifics about what we should do for God. Yeah, is that fair enough? But the Bible tells us that we should do three things as believers, okay? First one, it's an easy one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. Would you accept that? Okay, it's easy enough. It's written there, right in the New Testament, quoting the Old Testament. Second one, you should be ahead of me, but now, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you want to know what the third one is? Go you into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus told us to do. It's really as simple as that. Will we all go home now? But it's, we make it a lot more difficult, don't we? Don't we? And so the grace that God has given us is the grace to do that actual thing. And yes, we might have specific things within that. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't pray about doing a particular thing. But if we can get up in the morning and think, I'm going to love God today. I'm going to love my neighbor like I love myself today. And I'm going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't think you're going to go far wrong. Is that fair enough? Yeah? And so sometimes we make it so difficult, and so our strength comes from God alone. It is possible to look within to find some strength that maybe we shouldn't find. It is possible in church leadership or even other leadership of other parachurch organization or just in the work of God sometimes that we may be relying on our own strength a lot, and we may burn out because we're not relying on the strength that God gives us because it's not about us. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking about a little analogy just to sort of bang this home. I used to be a worship drummer, okay, I drummed for different groups. That was what I did before I did teaching. And in my arrogance, it never took anything out of me. I just want to say that. It, never, it didn't. I, I could have done it. I felt that I could have done it anywhere, anytime. But that was wrong. It was wrong because I was doing something for God in my own strength and not relying on Him. Now, see this? For me, I struggle every time I get into the pulpit. And I'm sure every other preacher in the room agrees. You should agree, actually because it's not about my strength. And so here's what Paul says 
in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, verses again, which everybody is familiar with. I'm going to introduce you to a word, that, how to say the word correctly, okay? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power. Say power. power. That's how I said power. power. It's not power. <laughs> power, as in golf. Power. All right? That's, so you all know what I'm saying now because I've spoke up here before. I spoke about power, and people didn't get what I was saying until about halfway through the sermon. So that's why I want to say that right now. So be, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Yeah? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. Absolutely. And so we absolutely should be doing things in the strength of Jesus Christ, our God. And if we're facing with a situation, we think, I cannot do that. Guess what? God takes over. And it's a fantastic thing whenever God can do that. The second phrase that Paul uses here, he says that I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Okay, any builders in the room? People in construction? So Paul refers to himself here in this verse as a wise or an expert or a master builder, depending on what version of the Bible that you're looking at. Or the Greek word is architecton, which the English word is architect. You can speak Greek. It's fantastic. Yeah. So the Greek word architecton or architect. So Paul is saying, I am laying the foundation as an expert or a wise or a master builder or an architect. And you can only do that if you have seen the blueprints, yeah? Blueprints or plans or whatever it is you guys call it over here. And so Paul saw the blueprint firsthand, and he was building the foundation according to the blueprint, according to the plans. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson here about the Apostle Paul. Remember where he came from. Okay, I'm sure many of us in this room are very familiar with some of the things that I'm talking about. But if I was to say to you that the book of Acts covers over 30 years, that's probably a shock to some people in the room. And so whenever we read the book of Acts, which is the history of the church, we read it, if we read it in two hours, we think it happened in two hours, because that's how we think when we read, yeah? And so if I was to tell you that from the start of Acts to the end of Acts is 30 plus years now you start to realize maybe some of the stuff that was happening, particularly with the Apostle Paul. So we know that the Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 9 or 6, 9, whenever he was on the road to Damascus, yeah, we all know what happened. He was arrested by that light, Jesus Christ himself, I believe. And all of a sudden, this guy who was a religious zealot, a Pharisee, someone who thought he was doing the work of God. Now, don't miss the point of what Paul thought he was doing. Paul was about to stamp out this zealot and the people who followed Jesus Christ, and that's how he seen it, and he was taking this as a religious conquest. And all of a sudden, something happens that completely turns that on its head. And so Paul, yes, goes into Damascus. Yes, he's there for three days blind. Yes, he meets Ananias. We all know the story, but then we think Paul goes straight into ministry. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you read the Bible, you'll think he's straight into ministry. No, he wasn't. Galatians 1.17 says, I did not go to Jerusalem. Sorry, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. Arabia being the desert area around Damascus, not modern-day Saudi Arabia. And so probably Paul ended up in the desert area for about three or four years 
before he got involved in the ministry of God, and also when he came back to Damascus, yes, he did go to Jerusalem, and then he went back to Tarsus for probably another 10 years. And so the chan- before Paul got into all the missionary work that you and I read about in Scripture, he probably was preparing for it for somewhere between 10 and 14 years. Now, I would imagine that's a shock to most people in the room. Yeah? Now, that doesn't mean that I can't be saved today and serving God tomorrow. Of course, we all should be doing that. But the thing that I really want to challenge you with here is Paul needed to go and find out what the blueprint said. Yeah? And you know where I'm going this, do you? Because the blueprint that God gave Paul was the only blueprint that Paul was prepared to build as a foundation. Nothing else would receive the grace of God to build. First challenge, and it's one of the themes of my ministry as well, is what what is the Word of God to you? What do you reach for first thing in the morning? Do you reach, reach for Facebook? Or do you reach for the Word of God? Now, I know that I'm a teacher. I know that Chris is a teacher. I know that other people in this room are teachers. But we only can teach you for an hour or two hours or whatever it happens to be in the week. You might watch other stuff, podcasts, etc. But the only way you're going to get the blueprint into your life is for you to get into the blueprint. For you to get into the Word of God for yourself. It is living. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I'm telling you right now, if you are living as a Christian without opening this book from one Sunday to the next or even longer than that, you are ham-fisted, you, are, you have your hands tied behind your back, you're fighting with nothing because this is the strength of the Word of God that is the Word of God in our lives. Yeah? And yes, we have Jesus, of course we have. Yes, we are saved. But is it a shock to realize that some people don't open their Bible from week to week? It's not a shock because there are many of you listening to me right now know absolutely that is the case. Yeah, there's the first challenge. And I'm not shying away from it because I absolutely believe this is one of the Biggest message is that God has given me to spread to the church. Open the Word of God. Open the Word of God. Don't rely on other guys like me. Yes, we can teach. That's what God gives me to do. But you got to get into that blueprint for yourself so you know what it is that you're building. You know that the foundation is the Word of God. Isn't it amazing how whenever you face a circumstance, you're not quite sure what to do? I'm telling you, is go back to the Word of God. And yes, we can help. Of course we can help. Of course we can interpret things that maybe you, you can't see and you should absolutely go back to your pastors and your, your Christian elders and those who can help you with that. The third statement here he makes is that someone else is building on it. So what does that mean? But someone else is building the superstructure on the foundation. Who is that? Who is building on this foundation? So we're talking about the foundation this morning Tonight, we're going to be looking at the superstructure. The builders in the room know what I'm talking about. So you've got a foundation, and you build the superstructure on top of that. And so here is the first introduction about somebody else building upon the foundation that Paul is saying that he is laying. And this is the introduction. If you haven't worked it out yet, I'm sure you have. This is the introduction of you and I into the project, the building project. Because you and I are responsible for building the superstructure on the foundation that someone else has laid, okay? Now, we're going to get around to talking about this foundation in a minute as to what it is. I'm sure you've all worked it out already. But if you're a believer in this room, you have two jobs in the building project that I'm talking about here over these three sessions. Because you and I 
Remember what he said, go ye into all the world and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes? So you and I, we are building the foundation for others. And someone has built that foundation for you. But then, and what we're really focusing in on over these three sessions is that you and I, once we're saved, we have to build the superstructure of our own lives. And what Paul goes on to say is that we're either going to be rewarded for that or we're actually going to be suffer loss for that, and we may get to heaven smelling of smoke. Well, and you can take this up with whomever you want, but I'm teaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 here. It's what it says. And so you and I will help lay the foundation for other people if we're saved, but also we are responsible for building our own lives. Now, I need to say before we go any further, and it's really, really important that salvation is justification by faith alone. Yes? Okay, so don't be misunderstanding anything that I'm saying. I need to lay that for you right in the here and now that you or I can do nothing to earn our salvation. Okay? Thank God for that because there wouldn't be too many people in heaven. Nobody in heaven. I'm exaggerating now. Hyperbole. All right? Come on, go with me, guys. All right? So you and I have to be responsible for that, but our salvation is not something that we can ever earn, justification by faith alone. It is purely the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and me. And all we have to do is believe in our hearts that that's what happened, and we, the Bible says, can be saved. But we're going to come back to that in a little minute or two. And so I need to say that because sometimes people misunderstand what it is that I'm saying, but then because we're so afraid of those statements that I've just made, people don't like, like to talk about good works, all right? And so let's look at Galatians 2, 8 to 10. Let's see what it says. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, yeah? And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works so that no one could boast Okay, that's pretty clear, isn't it? And so I am absolutely saying that you cannot earn your salvation. It's amazing how many people think that they can. Can I give you another personal thought on your country? And again, I'm not being nasty when I say this. I've traveled here many, many times. I've been traveling here from 2001, over 20 years. I love it here. If I didn't love Northern Ireland just so much, I would love to live here, but not just quite as much as Northern Ireland, all right? So just throw that in. Fair enough. Yeah. I mostly like your weather. Sometimes it's too hot. It's very wet where I come from. It's very green because it's so wet. Because we struggle with this good works thing, don't we? Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's so easy for us to throw the baby out with the bathwater whenever we say good works cannot earn our salvation. Absolutely correct. Nothing that we can do. Sorry, Mavis, I didn't tell you the thing that I observed about the U.S. Sure didn't. You, you should have reminded me of that. That's your job. All right? Powerful. You got it. Um, so my observation Forgive me for this, but this is how I see it. And I've been down in Santa Monica, and I've been in Hollywood, and I've been places. I've been talking to people about their faith. I've been talking to all kinds of people from your country about their faith. And you know what every person has in common in your country? Everybody thinks they're saved. 
I'm not, I'm not being nasty. I'm just telling you that's what I have, has, have observed. I love your country. But everybody thinks they're already saved. And they're always trying to justify it in some way because they're a good person. That's the phrase that's usually used. And so it's an observation of mine, and I would imagine you would agree with me. And so therefore, we need to actually understand that we can never earn our salvation, but the minute that we're saved, absolutely we have to live good lives. And we struggle with that because we don't like to talk about the good works bit, so we bury it, don't we? Right? So what I'm going to try and hammer home here is that if you're saved, actually you need to live for God. It seems like a really simple message, doesn't it? But I'm telling you, I've observed it here and back home, is that sometimes, as I've already said, the church doesn't look a whole lot different from the world. And it's getting worse. And there's a thing called antinomianism. Have you heard of antinomianism? Antinomianism is if I have some sort of an experience with Christ, at some point in my life, I can live however I want, because I'm going to heaven, and I can just live like the devil. I don't subscribe to that theology because I suggest that that person, if that's how they think, they need to go back to the very start, don't they? Amen. You can shout that. I'm a Pentecostal Anglican trained at the Baptist College, so I accept everything. All right? Okay? Is that all right? So I can do it all. I can hands up for coffee, hands down for coffee. I can do it all, okay? Don't go to sleep now. If you go to sleep, I'm going to light on you. <laughs> all right? Just a wee warning. That's the only warning that you're getting. But each one should build with care. That's the fourth statement that Paul uses. Each person should build with care. I can preach. I can teach. Chris can preach. Chris can teach. You've got men's leaders in the room today. There might be pastors in the room today. I've already said this. We can preach and teach. But you've got to build your own superstructure. You've got to build your own life. You've got to build your walk with God. You are responsible for your own sanctification, theological term for what we're talking about. And you absolutely need to take it seriously. Absolutely. should be the most serious thing in your mind each and every day. Bury the American dream. The first thing that you should think about in the morning is how can I serve God better today? Yeah? It was half easier and Yeah? I'm going to go with half of you are on board. The other half aren't quite sure about this Irish man at the front. And then because my mass isn't good, the other third or quarter or whatever just don't like me. It doesn't matter. I'm on a plane tomorrow to the Ireland. <laughs> All right? <laughs> I like you. <laughs> You've got to take it seriously particularly if you want rewarded in heaven. <laughs> don't go there. Yeah, I'm going there, all right? People don't teach on rewards. Is that true for this side of the pond as well as my side of the pond? Have everybody telling you that you get rewarded in heaven for what you do down here? Maybe you haven't. Well, I'm going to teach you. You'll not be in any doubt whatsoever by this time tomorrow. You need to take it seriously. You know we're mostly brilliant particularly men, were really, really, really good at the visible stuff. Yeah? Well, what about the invisible stuff? Hmm? The visible stuff, you know, the, the big boxes, the big tick box, you know, we don't do X, Y, or Z, 
you know, the, the stuff at church, we don't swear, we don't cuss, I don't know if that's the word you use, smoke, drink, whatever, whatever, you know, the big stuff. But what about the behind closed door stuff? What about the gossip? What about the criticism? What about the sexual sin? What about all of the stuff? Think, come on, guys. We're at a men's conference. I'm not holding back here. Because we're really, really good at what people see. Maybe not so good sometimes. But what about all this stuff? The secret stuff. And it's amazing how, as Christians, we think, well, I'm going to be rewarded because I'm going to church four times on a Sunday. I don't see, I don't, I've read this front to back many times. I didn't see that there. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to church. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that we need to get rid of the two ugly sisters of the church. Tradition and religion. We need to get rid of them. Because I'm telling you right now, of course we should meet together with other believers. Of course we should. But I'm telling you right now that if you're basing your good works around how many times you go to church, then you got a problem. Yeah? Because we should be serving God no matter what it is, no matter what it looks like, seven days a week. Isn't it so easy to serve God on a Sunday and then Monday we're the biggest scoundrel that ever walked? Are we the ones that is the angriest in the locker room? Are we the one that people don't want to be around? Yeah? Are you a person that people like to see coming or are you a person that people like to see going? I'm telling you, you're a Christian, that's a bad start. Would you agree? God is very interested in what we're doing all of the time. How much care do you take when building the invisible stuff? I know we heard some good stuff this weekend. There's been some seminars. There's been all sorts of things. But the first place, let me get you to you in your mind, is that you're not perfect by doing the visible stuff. And I'm telling you, I actually believe that it's a heck of a lot worse for Christians and Christian positions who live the life that we're not supposed to be living and somehow dress it up as what we're supposed to be doing for the world out there to see. It's ridiculous because are we the ones that are gossiping behind other people's backs? Are we the ones that are unwholesomely talking about other people? So verse 11. We're nearly done this morning. This is really just an introduction to what we're talking about. Because we need to tell you what the foundation is. Paul says, verse 11, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. Yeah, we heard about it last night. Chris spoke about John 14, 6. One of the great I am statements in the book of John. And Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because the only foundation for heaven is Jesus Christ and salvation through him. Now, I know that probably everybody in the room or most people in the room will agree with that. But I'm telling you right now that it's amazing how some stuff has started to creep in from everywhere that somehow justifies other ways to heaven. And it's creeping into the church as well. I'm telling you. It's creeping in everywhere. Do you know what? Paul spoke about this back 
then because it was relevant back then, but it's absolutely relevant back now. In biblical times, there were those who pushed or promoted other ways. And if you understand Scripture and you understand what these guys are actually teaching about and speaking about, there were different groups and sects that were actually in place who were counteracting what Christianity, true Christianity should be. I'm not going to get into talking about all of them, but have you ever heard of the Nicolaitans? Nicolaitans are mentioned a couple of times in the book of Revelation. I don't need to get into the detail of who the Nicolaitans were, but they were prevalent in the church because two of the churches of the book of Revelation mentions the Nicolaitans specifically. And the Nicolaitans could possibly have came from one of the first deacons, the guy called Nicholas, back in Acts chapter 6. And I'm not saying that that is the same Nicholas. It doesn't matter because it would be unfair to suggest it was him if it wasn't, but scholars would suggest that it may have been. The point that I'm making is that it's amazing how false doctrine can come potentially from within the church. Yeah? And so the Nicolaitans, basically, they were into eating food sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality. Okay? Now you may think that's nothing to do with you. First Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about eating food sacrificed to idols idols. You think it may be nothing to do with you, but let me just very, very quickly, I have a moment or two, because this is actually really important, I believe. Because sometimes whenever we look at what we should or shouldn't do, whenever you think the Bible doesn't actually say the specific thing that I'm asking, I actually think we can go back to this thought, and it gives us our answer, okay? Someone's yawning. I'm not going to point you out yet, but I'll let you have one yawn, right? <laughs> And so, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he said, there is nothing sinful about eating the meat sacrificed to idols. You remember? You know your Bible? Yeah? But here's what he says. So, basically, what was happening, just to give you the context, people were eating meat that had been sacrificed to animals uh, in a sacrificial way, right? Okay. Because it was being sold cheap, and people couldn't afford the dear cut of meat. And so, I don't know what would be your cheap cut of meat in this country versus your deer cut of meat. Costco, is that cheap cut of meat or deer cut of meat? No. You don't know? You're supposed to be my helper. Are you from this country? Have you heard of Costco? Costco, what's that? Okay. You get the point that I'm making? People were buying a cheap cut of meat because they could eat it. Versus people who could afford to buy a deer cut of meat because they could afford to buy the deer cut of meat. Paul says, it doesn't matter anything about that piece of meat because the idol's dead. It's irrelevant. The piece of meat is not the sin. Okay? He said, but if you buy the cheap cut of meat and somebody who has come to Christ who doesn't really understand what is going on struggles because you're eating the cheap cut of meat, then because you're causing someone else to stumble... Now you've got a problem. And so whenever we're facing situations and circumstances in life, and whenever you're being asked questions about what I should or shouldn't do, I actually think the more important question is, by what I do, is that going to cause someone weaker in their faith to sin? Then if it does cause someone weaker in their faith to sin, then I sin as a result of that. Okay? So if I'm in a context where I'm going to have a skimful of alcohol, potentially, you might think that that's okay. But if you're going to cause someone who is weaker than you in the faith to sin or who may have a problem along those lines, now I've got a problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so the Nicolaitans, that was the issue that they had with the church. And Paul is saying, this is what you have to avoid, this type of thing. So we need to understand what the Bible says, yeah? And so the second thing is Gnosticism. Have you heard of Gnosticism? 
Okay, first, the epistles of John is written to counteract Gnosticism and what Gnosticism is, is being saved by knowledge. Yeah? Okay, how many people like to use big highfalutin words to confuse people out there and what we're trying to do is confuse them by words and you can be saved by knowledge. So it's called esoteric knowledge. And I'm telling you right now, some of the best saved people I've ever come across, the people who excite me most, are people who have no education whatsoever, but they know that they know that they know that Jesus Christ has done something in their lives. They're completely saved and far for God. Mightn't know how to explain that to you, but they're saved, aren't they? Yeah? Come on, go with me. Come with me. Judaizers, have you heard of them? Who live by law. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't apply the law of God to our lives. Of course we should. But if I get up in the morning, like the Pharisees, and I got to live my life because that's what it says, it doesn't matter what's going on in my heart, but that's who I am, then we are wrong in that regard as well. Yeah? That's the ugly sister of the church called religion. And I'm not telling you that we shouldn't live for Christ. I'm telling you that our motivation should be to live for Christ because we love Christ. Not because we want to show someone beside us who we are. We don't want to be pious. We don't want to turn to somebody and say, you shouldn't be doing that and use all sorts of arrogant words towards someone because they're living a lifestyle that we don't agree with. Don't, don't look at me like I've got two heads, guys. Yeah? One of the biggest problems to the world out there is the church because we look down our nose at them. And I'm not telling you that people don't have to change their lives when they become Christians. Absolutely they do, but let Jesus change their life. Yeah? Let Jesus change their life. Don't you look down your nose and judge them before they even get through the door? Let's not stop them because they choose to, to have a different lifestyle than you and mine. You know what I'm talking about here, don't you? Let's not stand and pick it in their faces. Let's show people that we love them each and every day to the best of our ability, live for Christ as best as we can, and trust me, they'll want it. And then whenever they have Jesus filling their lives, then all the other stuff will start to change. That's discipleship. Come on, do you think people are going to be perfect before they get saved? Well, let's go back and talk to your churches then, because that's what happens. I'm sorry, not sorry. There is no other gospel but the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should never be about what you and I can or cannot do, but it absolutely has to be based on the love of God. The foundation, which was Jesus, was forecast by the prophets in the Old Testament. The thing I love about the Word of God, and I love it, is that it was written by 40, 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years. Did you know that? But it's all inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Oh my goodness. And the amount of manuscripts that has been found to back this up in the Dead Sea Scrolls and everywhere else, it is living, it is active, it will never be destroyed. No one will ever be able to get rid of this book. And yet it's amazing how us as believers, whenever believers in China remember this, pages and pages and pages, because if they lose their single copy of it, they can rewrite it, and you and I can't even pick it up to read it. How many copies of this have we got in our houses? People die for this in China. People die for this in North Korea. People spend weeks and months in, in containers in Eritrea because they want the Word of God. Yeah? I have a sore throat from shouting, but I'm not going to apologize for that either. 
The foundation of Jesus was and is permanent. There is no other way. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. The foundation of Jesus is also what is known as propitious. 1 John 4.10, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What that means is that Jesus Christ was our atoning sacrifice on the cross. He did it for us. The most famous verse in the entire Bible, we could all quote it, even if you're not saved here today, you could quote it as well, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever, say it with me if you want, believeth on him, should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know what? I just want to give you the opportunity to respond to that. It was set up so well, fantastically well by Chris last night, wasn't it? And I want to give you the opportunity, if you're not saved, to respond to that. But don't worry, you'll get the opportunity to respond tonight and tomorrow as well. I'm down to my last five minutes. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is born without sin. The Bible also says, for the wages of that sin is death. But it doesn't stop there, thankfully. It says, for the gift, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible also says that whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't it good? It's really simple. There's nothing difficult about it. It's only the church that makes it difficult. And it clearly says that if we confess the Lord Jesus Christ, if we believe that he died on the cross for us and that he rose again to defeat death and hell, if we believe that, the Bible says that we're saved. That's the, that's the gospel message in a nutshell right there. And so if you're here this morning, and I suspect that there are people within the room who are not saved, not regenerated, you haven't given your life to Christ in the way that I've been talking about, in the way that Chris has been talking about. But here's an opportunity right now for you to respond to that. I'm not going to make it some sort of an auction, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to that. And so you maybe don't know Jesus and never have known Jesus in that personal way. Or you maybe have known Jesus at some point in your life and you're far from him right now. Maybe you just, maybe you're, maybe you've even got the false face on. Maybe people that's sitting around you all think that you're saved, but you know that you're not. Or you know that you're so cold and so far from God that you might as well not be. And so I want to give you, in these last couple of minutes that we've got, the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. And whenever you respond, I'm going to pray for you. You're going to have the opportunity to speak to the leaders of Hume, myself or Chris, or the, the leader who has brought you, or your pastor, or who, whomever you're with, yeah? And just to figure out whatever it is that you need to figure out, yeah? And so as I look across this room, and I'm not going to ask for people even to close their eyes with this, because Jesus died on the cross very publicly for you, yeah? And so if you either don't know Jesus, never have known Jesus, or you're, you're so cold that you might as well not have ever known them, just put your hand up so I can see you. 
There's one. Thank you. I can't, and I'm looking, I'm looking at my right. So don't anybody respond on this side just because I don't want to miss this. And by the way, if I don't see you, Jesus sees you, by the way. So there's one. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? I'm looking at my right here. You see where I'm looking. Anybody else want to read? Yes, one. Thank you. Anybody else as I'm looking around? Just make sure I see you. I'm still, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I'm still looking at this block. Anybody else? You can put your hand down next to everyone. Anybody else in this group that I'm looking on this side? I'm looking at the front here at the minute. I'm looking in the middle of the block now. And I'm looking towards the back of this block. I'll come back in a little second. Okay, anybody in this side of the room? One, thank you. Put your hand down. Anybody else? One, thank you. Anybody else in this side of the room? One, thank you. Anybody else over here? Okay, I'm looking at the front five or six rows. I'm looking at the middle five or six rows. I'm looking at the back five or six rows. One, thank you. I'll go one more time to this side. Anybody up? I can't. Is there people up there? Just one. You want to get saved, sir? You ready, saved? You're ready, saved. Amen. Anybody else here? I don't see any more hands. Doesn't matter. God sees. If I've missed you, God sees your hand anyway. Anybody else here? I don't want to miss this. Better come wait. Anybody else? I don't know. Was that eight or ten guys? Do you know what? For the rest of us... I'm going to pray. I want everybody to repeat my prayer to help the guys that have prayed this this morning, yeah? yeah. Is that good? Yeah. Let's do that. As I pray, you just repeat what I pray. Just a short prayer, and then we'll have a wee quick chat, and then I'm handing back to Jason. Dear Lord God, come into my heart today. Come into my heart to stay. Lord, help me to live for you. I believe you died on that cross for me. And through your death and resurrection, you defeated hell and Satan and sin. And I repent of what's going on in my life. Help me to live for you, Jesus. Amen.